I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had. The challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. I am so excited to share that my book, The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga, comes out this spring. This is the book for every yoga teacher, studio, and practitioner who wants to incorporate an inclusive approach to yoga. It is available for purchase on my website, laraland.us, and everywhere books are sold. If you're loving this podcast, you are going to love this book. Hello, everyone. I am back. Okay. We weren't on a break, but I kind of was. I tend to record these like a bunch at once, and then I need some time to like research and think about what I'm interested in, what you might be interested in, and make sure that I'm bringing you the absolute best guests and topics. And I am really with this one. This is a very exciting episode. But before we get to that, I want to just share a couple things that are coming up as we get closer and closer to the release date of my book, The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga. You want to keep some things on your radar because I'm going to be jam-packing my schedule with workshops, trauma-informed yoga trainings, and some talks and offerings, and I really want to see you there. If you haven't pre-ordered the book, make sure you get on the pre-order because there are three bonuses that I'm offering, a body scan recording, trauma-informed. Body scan is one of my favorite practices. It is my go-to for closing out a trauma-informed yoga class. I do my own body scans all the time. And two beautiful, when I say beautiful yoga sequences, trauma-informed yoga sequences that we photographed that didn't make the actual book. There are, I think, four sequences in the book. These are two more. They might be my favorites. They're very, very special. And you're going to get them when you pre-order the book. You'll get these two extra yoga sequences. One is a restorative in nature. The other one is a chair yoga sequence. They're both really focused in self-love and self-acceptance. And finally, There's going to be a special Q&A with me for folks who pre-order an online Q&A. So make sure you pre-order the book. And also some things coming up this March, right before the book launches and everything is about that. I wanted to fit in one more special retreat. I've been leading these three-day retreats up here in the Catskill Mountains. This one will be on March 24th through 26th. It's on the theme of reemergence coming out of winter, how to springboard your cleansing, your reemergence into the world, get the fire going again after a very necessary kind of winter 
feelings that we go through, a little bit of hibernation, a little bit of, you know, really maybe indulging, being in comfort and coming into spring. We just want to get that fire going again, get some movement and breath going and some heat in the body. It's going to be a beautiful three-day retreat. You can speak to anyone who's been on retreat with me. I can promise you like three days and a transformation. There will be a transformation. We do it fast and furious. So look into that. And then you're going to want to stay tuned for book launch events, both in person and online. Probably May 2nd publication date. We will have something here in Andes, New York, Catskills. May 13th, my birthday back in New York City. May 15th, I have something very special planned for you, an online panel around person-centered, trauma-sensitive Ashtanga. So this is really one for the Ashtanga community with a bunch of special guests I will announce soon. Plus, very, very, very exciting. Meet me in Miami for my first time at Miami Life Center, August 18th through 20th for a trauma-informed yoga teacher training. I am so excited to bring this training to Miami and to my friends, Kino and Tim's Yoga Shala. Great excuse to be there. So um, take a look at my site, laraland.us, and you can link up to all those great offerings and more to come. So today's episode, Rachel Aiden is a pro-social entrepreneur. She has 20 plus years of experience working on projects across the US, East Africa, and Europe. And currently, she's the CEO at Synthesis Institute, a legal psilocybin retreat and practitioner training center with locations in Amsterdam and Oregon. Rachel holds a BA in transformative education and leadership, an MA in clinical mental health counseling. That's what I'm getting my MA in. And trauma-informed leadership. And she is completing her PhD in integral transpersonal psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies, where her research focuses on psilocybin-assisted treatment for PTSD and complex trauma. So she is in it. I mean, in some ways, I think we're just scratching the surface here for people who are a little bit curious about psychedelics which I am, I just wanted to ask some kind of basic questions and connect the dots between psychedelics and trauma healing. And as she says in this interview, she's still, you know, at the beginning of a lot of that research. So there's going to be a lot more coming out on psychedelics and healing trauma. We're going to talk about in this conversation, what safe practice of journeying looks like and what you can expect if you decide to go on a journey This conversation is very exciting to me, and I hope you will enjoy it as much as I did. There we go. Hi, Rachel. Thanks again for making time out of your busy schedule to be here. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. It's really nice to have you. I'm very excited about this. I don't know how much time you got to look into the podcast, but the main focus here is trauma, and we've been talking a lot about embodied practices that can help to soften the impacts of trauma. We've also had quite a number of survivors of traumatic events come and talk about their experiences and what has worked for them. And I really want to get into some other practices and solutions for dealing with different kinds of traumas and 
the use of plant medicine is becoming more and more popular and it never really went away, I don't think, but um, a lot of people are turning to plant medicine. And so I'm very curious about this field and very, very excited to ask you all my personal questions because I guess there's still like a lot of mystery and maybe some taboo around plant medicine. Before we get to all of that, I thought maybe you could share just your history, your background. I know you have a background in some trauma leadership, and maybe you can just share like how you ended up being the the CEO of Synthesis. Yeah, thank you. It's a, a lot of questions. I'm excited to, to talk about psychedelics, especially in relationship to integrating and, and healing trauma. Yeah. So my background, as you said, I personally lived through what we now know diagnostically as complex trauma, which is different than single event. And single event can be just as traumatizing, of course. But complex trauma indicates often many years. For many folks, it might be an entire childhood into young adulthood. And it's many layers of of abuse. If, If you're familiar with the adverse childhood experiences, survey and they list, you know, it's sexual, physical, emotional, parent in prison, refugee and war displacements on that list. And so my childhood was filled with sexual, emotional, physical abuse. And and there's more to that we'll get into if we need to. But, you know, to kind of fast forward to finding my way to psychedelics and then later to synthesis, it was, you know, as you say, somebody that was on a, a path of healing and if I fast forward to the, how did I join Synthesis, it was about 2017, my youngest sibling committed suicide. You know, as one of four children, I'd already lost my other two siblings. And so this is really devastating. And, you know, like most of us had integrated and done a lot of healing. And so for that to happen so many years later, it really was devastating, of course. And it was really through that period that I realized that what I wanted to be doing was building the kind of spaces that don't quite yet exist. You know, I share a piece of um, processing my brother, his name was Tavis, his passing, and there was this excruciating kind of pain of like, there's no emergency room to go to with this kind of, of pain, especially when you think you've healed, you think you've integrated. And You know, we know that when we're kind of re-traumatized, all the unprocessed or unintegrated trauma comes back up with it. So it gave me a lot to look at. And in that process of what kind of places and spaces do we really have to go that meets us in the cognitive and the spiritual and the emotional and the body and really meets us on all the levels on which we were harmed or traumatized, that was kind of the final push and inspiration to go and say, what what's out here? What's out here in the world in a legal context where we can go and use psychedelic-assisted kind of approaches? After some Googling, there's many retreats, right? This isn't new, as you just said before. There's many retreats, but I was really looking for something that wasn't Central South America. It was, you know, more of a kind of a medically supervised, definitely legal kind of space. And that's how I found Synthesis. And when I found them, they had just just opened there about a month or two into just kicking off retreats. And so I went out there to to participate in the retreat and see what was there about. And I fell in love with the whole team, just really saw these beautiful hearts of gold and so appreciated, you know, our namesake Synthesis 
it gives us room to really say there's many ways of knowing and bringing together the things we know. There's no one right way. And, you know, that's exactly my, my philosophy. I came back, I went back to the U.S. and then I came back to Amsterdam um, very shortly thereafter. And I approached the founders, just said, you know, I love what you're doing and I'd really love to join you. And probably about a month later, I joined our organization as our COO. And so, yeah, that's kind of the origin story of coming to Synthesis. Wow. Yeah. And was that your first experience? With Synthesis, it's not actually mushrooms, right? It's truffles. Or is that the same? Can you maybe explain? Yeah. Yeah. So in in the Netherlands, the uh, truffles containing psilocybin are legal for adults to purchase. And in the U.S., what we see coming online in the new legal regulatory frameworks is actually uh, mushrooms. So it's, you know, it's psilocybin, but it's in a, in a different form. Yeah. And maybe you can explain even more about sort of what drew you to psilocybin as opposed to maybe other drugs that people are using these days. Like there's a big trend of ayahuasca. Is there something specific about mushrooms that are different? So yeah, um, it was not my first time. I've been working with psychedelics for a very long time. And the range is between aboga, psilocybin, LSD, and MDMA. And so, you know, they each have a distinct flavor, if you will, of what channels they open up or it's, there, there's a different space um, with each of these medicines or compounds. This goes back a, a long time and, and it's exciting because where we're at right now, I, I never thought I would see a legal regulatory framework in the United States in, in my entire life. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so it's beautiful, but psilocybin, it's definitely what, you know, we say you know, it's my medicine, it's the, the go-to really in the trauma work. MDMA is also phenomenal um, and that is coming online as I'm sure you're aware as well. And so when I talk about this stuff, I often say like, you know, people ask about how do you know what to take or what, which one. And I think it's really important that what we actually start with and the way we work at Synthesis is before you get theirs is making sure you're being screened, health screening, you know, is this kind of a step one. You might be ready physiologically to take a psychedelic, but in fact, there's a lot more to preparation than just not having any contraindications. Mm-hmm. And so when you go through health screening and then you move into preparation, there's some facilitators that might work with multiple modalities or psychedelics. You might know you're ready for psilocybin, but in the preparation process, it's about understanding your intention, what it is you're up to, what you want to work on. And at that time, you know, a facilitator, professional experience facilitator would really be able to guide you as, is psilocybin really the best tool? Mm. And beyond the medicine, you know, dosing. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, there's a lot around that, um, microdosing, high dosing, a lot of confusion around dosing. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really important to kind of, as we get into it, I think a public service announcement is first, we always need to start with safety, especially yeah. when we're talking to trauma populations. Many of us, we've tried everything and there's, it's just, you want the magic pill, you know, mm. literally. And this is not that. There isn't one. And so it's really important to start with, you know, as we're talking to these audience, health screening always has to come first. 
um, and having a professional you work with that, that takes you through a preparation process where you really dive deep into the material and talk about what the journey is going to be like as you go into an actual experience. And then the final piece I would say to this is making sure you've got integration support, yeah. right? So that that's another really big piece because you can go and have these profound breakthroughs. And if you don't have support at home, if no one knows what you're doing, if you're going to return back to isolation or worse, potentially an actively traumatic kind of life, it's really about safety. And so oh. I just want to stress these components um, as we navigate this conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I'd actually like to go through all three of those phases and maybe dissect them a little further. Sure. Um, like, you know, what are some questions coming up for me are, what would be the the counterindications? You know, what are they screening for? Yeah. Are there certain kinds of traumatic experience that this might not be the right match for? And uh, as you mentioned, that's so important. Like some folks may be going back to unsafe environment. Well, so we can hone in here really on those in fact affected by trauma. So I'm going to kind of put aside talking about this language of a healthy normals or folks that do not have a diagnosis, mm-hmm. really talk to this audience. So starting with trauma, I mean, the first piece is um, <clears throat> as you enter any kind of work, not just psychedelics, is we have to get to stability. We're working with a client, working with a client. What is life looking like right now? If they're in an actively abusive or trauma state, we're definitely not ready to go right into psychedelics. And so that's one of the first things when going to screening is, you know, are you safe? Are you stable? What's home life look like? What kind of supports do you have? When we get into screening, the fact is we are still in such a new place with psychedelics and their application to those experiencing PTSD. There's the most research in that particular focus, as you know, the veteran care, but it's still pretty narrow. I mean, we recognize, right, like one in three women have been sexually abused worldwide, right? And that's a different flavor than wartime trauma. It is Mm -hmm. all trauma. But when we're screening, you know, it's synthesis, you know, we're looking at evidence-based, evidence-backed data. And so for that, we just don't have a lot of data. And so if someone were to apply at this moment where we've gotten to, we really have to take it case by case because there isn't a cookie cutter solution here. So some of the things are screening that, that pertain to all bodies has to do with the medications you're taking, looking at psychological health, suicide ideation, or any attempts, any psychosis or hospitalizations, you know, looking at comorbid factors, you know, you might be on a medication, but, you know, maybe a a heart condition or something else that together those are dangerous, right? Mm. So it's not necessarily the trauma that's coming up there. And looking at, like I said, the, the home life, you know, do you have a therapist or someone that is therapeutically there to support you that you're not going to be isolated and you're going to have somebody to integrate this process with? The screening and the, more specifically, the programming for trauma folks and CPTSD, it's really in development. And it's something I'm, I'm very keen and excited to see us develop really specifically as we open up here in the U.S. this year ahead. So it's, it's to say, you know, there are no, uh, we have it all figured out and this is how you screen for trauma. And this is, mm. it, the field is still young and learning in that way. 
despite the fact that so many are traumatized as they come into it. It's what kind of degree and that these tools, especially the plants, thousands of years of history of absolutely working with healing. So it's this funny time of science and academia catching up to validate. Yes. (laughs) And then balancing that deep wisdom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just laughing. I'm thinking about yoga and like when I started 25 years ago and now there's countless studies on yoga for everything. Right. (laughs) It's like we knew it. (laughs) We could feel it, but... It's yeah. so funny to think of science as always like catching up to our lived experience. Um, yes. Yes, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So then maybe you can take us into what the experience would be like. Folks are taking the drugs along with other people, right? Yeah. So the retreat experience in the Netherlands we work in a group model. That's um, what you're pointing to there. And we work with 16 as a maximum two to one ratio as far as having facilitators and a lot of protocol um, in place for um, our participants. So once they've completed preparation, which is about three sessions prior to the retreat, and you do that with the group, and there's definitely time and space that we need to do our more private healing in a smaller container but there's also this kind of, you can't heal yourself by yourself. Yeah. There's a lot of deep connection and healing that comes from being with a group. And those preparation calls, you you meet that group and you really start the journey there as a group. So by the time you're coming to retreat, you've had a few hours building that container and that connection. And then you come to a five-day retreat that's in Amsterdam and on day one, it's really about landing, getting the body, you know, some rest, good food, just building the connection. And we, we have just various workshops throughout the week. And so day one's about kind of landing and acclimating. And on day two, we start our day with uh, breath work and it's a kind of a quieter day. And then we have kind of midday to the rest of that day. We do the first ceremony or psilocybin session, depending on the language. That resonates. But nonetheless, that's the day one ceremony. And that's typically a lower dose kind of day. And then the next day, day three, is again, it's about integration. So we're always looking at social, emotional, spiritual, and cognitive kind of integrations. And we do that work both one-to-one. So if you're on retreat, you have somebody that's your point person, your your one-to-one, and you also have your group. So the day um, post uh, ceremony one is that mix of working with your one-to-one in your group. And also having downtime to rest. Day four, we do a second ceremony and we have breath work kind of moving throughout our program. It's more of an embodiment piece to keep coming back into the body. Can I ask what kind of breath work you're using? You know, it's really a combination of, it is not so invigorating um, as um, Stan Groff's kind of work. It's really pulled from, my background is in one called body breath meditation. We have other... um, team members that came from, I think, transformative breath, others in holotropic. And so true to our name as synthesis, it's taking kind of what is the best pieces we've all experienced, especially as they intersect with psychedelics and really making our own program. Are you doing the breathing while you're on the psychedelics? No, that's a preparation piece. We do a, a proper breath work. And so really breath work is kind of like I say, like ground control. And when you really have a good practice, which doesn't mean you have to belabor it in years, it's simple. It can be three deep breaths. It can be 
mm-hmm. very little things. It's ways that we're helping the person have some tools to stay very grounded in their body. Mm. And that agency is so important when journeying, you know, to feel safe that you, mm. you've got this. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you might be working with someone and you can see they, they might just need a little bit of comforting and you don't need to go touch. You don't need to go intervene. It's, it's not about you as a facilitator. Often you can just sit uh, next to someone and you just, <sighs> mm. and they hear you. Yeah. And they remember mm. and they breathe. Yeah. Very gentle. That's kind of how we work with breath work. And so, yeah, day four is another ceremony. Often the option is to do a higher dose. So it's a similar process. And then the final day, again, is, is about integrations and really making sure then that transition to going home, traveling, you know, just ensuring they have access to any emergency kind of services in the psychedelic space, like fireside or you know, there's, there's many, and then also kind of preparing the group to transition into the integration piece that we do after retreat, which is again, three consecutive sessions together as a group mm. after the complete retreat. Let me ask you a little bit more about the experience when, after the ceremony and once folks have taken their dosage of the psychedelics, are they wearing eye shades? That's an option. There's a lot of different tools. If you want to sit up, you want to lie down. Do you want your eyes closed? Do you want your eyes open? Do you want headphones? Do you want to listen to Mm -hmm. the music? These are really all tools that this is about educating people so they understand how to get to the comfort levels they might need. Mm -hmm. And so I invite folks, especially when they're new, to lie down, to have eye shades on. That's the, the setup we tend to start with is it's really kind of a high rest yoga nidra vibe, if you will, right? A really relaxing. Um, but sometimes you have to remember with trauma people, uh, lying down and putting an eye shade on your strangers is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this work requires deep trauma informed, which, you know, if we say simply, it's always really listening and creating a lot of optionality yeah. and ensuring that the client is guiding the process and not the other way around. That's what I really liked about Synthesis when I was reading about you, that it was very person-centered and that's trauma-informed, right? It's it's giving the individual a lot of options to discover what feels right for them. That's exactly it. I was just talking to someone the other day, it's like a a thing I I often find myself saying is this work in particular, and and it could apply to everything, I'm I'm not excluding, but with trauma and complex trauma. The goal, no matter what modality, I don't think this is just specific to psychedelics, our goal is to be like a flashlight on the path. That's how I see it. We walk alongside each other and we need to help illuminate all there is to look at inside of ourselves. But the client needs to say, hey, I want to look over there. Mm -hmm. I want to look over there. Not, hey, I, you know, oh, you have that thing and I think we need to do it. And here's what we got to do breath work and we're going to get into yoga and we're going to, you know, this, that's, that's not the way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it really is important that, you know, because we're so susceptible to further trauma when we're seeking healing, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's really important to notice that. Do you have somebody that's helping you see, just look into yourself and look at all the things you might want to explore? And then you need to decide that. And we just walk with you. How do people, like, I'm wondering how do people reconcile the kind of loss of control 
that occurs? I mean, I know it seems like it's both the medicine and the like the danger. It's like that loss of control is so important to the process, but also so scary. Well, the interesting, I mean, the last thing is that's a big question. We probably could talk the rest of the time. <laughs> I'm just asking for, you know, myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's really important to imagine other people. That's one of the scariest things and it's unknown. And so we want to remember what might seem like a loss of control uh, might not be a loss of control. And so, you know, this piece of having really deep rapport with your facilitator so that you can let go, mm. be open. It's not about the the taking control or things, but it's it's a real fear. Many people I know that want to try it, they say, I'm so scared, I'm, I'm not going to have any control. And, you know, I go, yeah, that that's part of this. And knowing that you absolutely, you are in control. Mm. But it's a delicate hand here. And how does the group dynamic also play into that? I imagine if you're all in a shared space, Mm -hmm. you're hearing other people. And if someone is having a difficult experience, that might affect you. Yeah, it's actually, you know, this can, can go both ways. I think the experiences we've had at Synthesis and, and that I've had in other groups. So first of all, you know, we talk about this in preparation. What are you going to do, Laura, if you need to laugh and you hear me crying? Mm. Yeah, because we have these ways we're kind of wired to like, oh, I need to restrain my emotions because they're not lining up with the other emotion in the room. And it's beautiful. Many times I've heard guests talk about how much it meant to them to hear someone else in their state, whether it was in laughter and joy or grieving. And no matter where they were, there's that unit of consciousness piece. It's like the hu- the full spectrum of humanity is alive in the room. Mm. And it often conjures up deep compassion. And that compassion that one feels for the, the other in the room is often magnified into themselves. Mm. And it's also a beautiful opportunity. There's times, certainly if someone needs space, we always have adjacent space in our facilities that we don't completely go away, away, away from the group, but we have just a little bit of, we might say, Hey, Laura, you know, do you need to get up? Do we need to go grab some air and come over here? Yes. And you might get up and, and then we try to get you to come back to the Mm. group if that's safe for you. So there's also making sure it's not like, no, you will lay there and you will, you know, (laughs) not, not at all. And there's other times too. Yeah. It's really agitating for someone, but even in those moments, that agitation is beautiful and it is welcome because why would we be angry with one another when we hear tears or we hear joy? So I feel like that it's just this rich field of data and it's how do we hold it and translate it mm. to open ourselves and deepen connection. That's really beautiful. I wonder what we you know we talked about before and, and now a little bit during, what are some of the results of coming through in an experience like this? Yeah, the kind of touch wood that, you know, at synthesis we've been, you know, incident free and not without challenging experiences. I could drop into tears when I really plug into what I've witnessed and when I hear the retreat team share at different moments. It's stunning, Laura. You you see it in someone's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um when when, you know, post journey, you can feel it in them. The there's this openness. It's so stunning to watch the way people come in 
and then when they go home. Really, there's a range and of trying to kind of see different ways I can share. I mean, it's just, you know, specific to traumas, you know, again, when it comes to our screening, we're very stringent. And so, you know, because that's for the client's safety and the safety of our team, there's times that maybe that information, it might not even been known to the client right? There's material that might come up or details of it that might come up. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's just ways that you, you see someone come through. And I guess what touches me most is a self-love. Even when it's painful, there's this way it's like, oh, I don't have to hold it like that. I don't have to hold it at all. Mm. And it, there's a spaciousness, or there's a freedom, there's a lightness, there's a tenderness. There's just this human, this, that we, you know, and we all get it. It's like deep, raw human place where you're like, really, you slow down and you really see people in front of you. So it's, it's all these words I'm kind of throwing out rather than telling any one story. It's that openness. And I think, you know, if you look at psilocybin and you even look at research in psilocybin, mystical experiences, unit of consciousness, you know, this deep connection, it's palpable, Laura. It's how you see it, you feel it. It's in the room, the openness, and it's love. It's Mm. self-love. And so I don't, you know, I want to be cautious not to paint, you know, that picture. A lot of people hear like, oh, you take it and like open and it's all better. It is open. And we know a lot about neuroplasticity and things in in the realm of science. This is a very beneficial time for making change. And also, especially for those with trauma, it's so important to hear that more than likely you will go back to the state. There's that work on the other side. I I love the example of, let's say, when you're journeying, you go to the top of the mountain, right? You're at the bottom and you go to the top. You're like, it's beautiful up here. I can see it all. I can see the ridges and I can see the journey I've been on and the rough terrain and the rocks. And oh my God, I can see it. I can see it. Then you come back down to the bottom of the mountain and now you know something, but now you actually have to do the work of climbing that mountain. Mm. And that is really important to know ahead of time, because some people go, oh my God, it came back. I'm still depressed. I'm still, yes, of course. The mushroom isn't magic. It's like getting to really see into a landscape in a way that is an embodied way. It's not just in the head, but then, you know, that's why, you know, underscore, underscore, underscore integration Mm. is the real journey after we do the journey. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing that the Everything that you have around the journey is very important. And I imagine that there's something about the combination of the psychedelic, the talk therapy, and the embodiment that together is really healing. As a researcher, what I'm looking at is the kind of thesis, I suppose, is that trauma occurs on many levels, I think more than we understand. And so too must healing. So when we look at cognitive behavior therapy, you know, traditional therapy alone, that's only cognition. Yeah. If we look at somatics embodiment, that's the body. If we look at spiritual practice, that might be spirit, the body, you know, food, right? There's the emotional piece, that's emotions. And so there's so many layers here. And that's the work we're up to is synthesizing or, you know, looking at the many ways of knowing that we each know yeah. and then meeting it there. So psychedelics 
open up quite a big space across all of these, right? Mm. But they're all important. That's why it's like, we can't just take the one and right not address the others. We have to address all the planes on which we are wounded. It's funny. It's almost my personal work. It's about do you, do we, do I, do you know all the parts in the place? And I was just saying before with the flashlight example, do we really know all the places and parts where we're, we're kind of wounded and stuck? Like kind of having to get to look in there first and get the lay of the land mm-hmm. and then do the work and then go back into like, okay, now let me look at this map again. And mm-hmm. also what do I know now that I didn't know before? So it's funny to think of like how we have to kind of do a little integrating reclamation first and do do journey work. And then that is the path of healing. It's not Mm. like, Oh, I want to heal. Let me jump on. It's like, well, we got to look at what what do we have here at first? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know where you're going Mm -hmm. or what you're looking at. And so would you say that people come back again then to like do another layer or look at a different piece? Yes. But you know, I get asked this question a lot. It's not a lot of people that return. I imagine some of that is just purely logistics. And also our data might not be great because we had COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And we had to mm-hmm. hit pause and couldn't see clients. But yeah, we do have a handful. And sometimes, you know, because the expansion retreat, the five-day expansion retreat we offer is a co-ed space. So there's before COVID, we were leading a women's retreat. I was leading a women's retreat with one of our facilitators. And so you would have sometimes women that were in the co-ed that came to women or women that came to the women's retreat and then went to the co-ed, you know, that happened. And I know some folks, you know, they might go elsewhere. A lot of our clients are from the U.S. And so traveling to Europe is no small thing. So I think sometimes it's just logistics and costs and things that might be a lot for people, you know, that are working and busy schedules. But people definitely, and in my own practice, work with psychedelics I'm at the speed they need to over time. So it just depends. This goes back to like, you're really the one that needs to dictate. You know, I have some clients and I know facilitators that might work multiple sessions. It also depends on the medicine, what the tolerance is and the load is on the body, right? You can't, mm-hmm. some things you can't take over and over and it's not, it's not right to do. So there's a lot of, this is where you need to work with, you know, educated professionals that work in that kind of guide, like the path. So you might say, you know, I'm ready. Um, and some people might be years before they're ready again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I know for some, for some people, it's like that kind of glow lasts a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, for others, it's like get, getting back and then suddenly it's not there and they might want to go back to taking the psychedelic to repeat that. But like you said, there's some other work to be done. Mm-hmm. Are there like professionals that you connect folks with back where they are to keep talking it through after the experience? Or is that something they do on their own? We have to be careful, right? Because we're not giving medical advice or, you know, there's those boundaries there. And so we have to really know someone and have them vetted to refer. We do have people that we trust deeply but can you imagine if you're working with an organization that doesn't really vet um, the danger or harm that could be produced mm-hmm. um, by finding, referring someone, you know, you don't know their skill set. That's why in the application preparation process, we're really looking for who is your network and community and helping you to make sure that is established. So it's more of like a harm reduction approach. Mm-hmm. How are you setting this up for you? And we can help with that. 
also, like I mentioned, Fireside and many kind of like your Zendos and harm reduction folks that are out there broadly in the space that are wonderful at what they do, connecting you with those resources as well. And then certainly we're always available. Somebody needed some support as a short-term interim, so we wouldn't want to leave somebody um, without some support, but that's not really our, uh, it hasn't been a a deep offering we've had. It's something we want to do is like more ongoing community, staying in that Mm -hmm. group model. But I was wondering, point, yeah. yeah, Laura, let's like sometimes you need like a therapist, you need somebody one to one. Yeah. 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 There's different needs. I mean, I could imagine that cohorts might want to like see each other again a year later or something. And that's a different from. Yeah. yeah. I think people keep in touch, but it's not often that you really see a whole group that was there together, come back together, things like mm. that. It's very, it's very interesting. I'm thinking about the groups and some of the things you said about some of the reasons that, you know, people might not be able to return the financial and the travel and things like that. And I was wondering when I was just thinking about speaking with you just and about the kind of trendiness right now that that's happening around psychedelics, which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I was just wondering about the demographics that you're seeing as far as like, is this kind of a white privileged endeavor that something about it feels that way to me, but maybe I'm getting it wrong. And I'm just wondering what you're seeing and if Synthesis is trying to do anything to maybe reach different people. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this up. Overall at Synthesis at the moment, and I think a lot of the space, like what you refer to, it is a very white space. And yes, we care deeply, and I'll talk in a moment about what we're up to in this way. And I want to say, you know, these plants and this doesn't belong to us, and it belongs to all of us. And that's kind of wisdom that I've received from my own elders. You know, she kind of talks about like fire. Can you imagine if one of us said, I own fire? And so what we've seen or what, you know, my life experience, you know, these things that kind of take off. When they first launch, you tend to see kind of the wealthier. I think there's also not just a, a whiteness, but an economic piece here, financial class. And these have been, you know, expensive. And if you don't live in an area or have access to a, a local practitioner, you know, you're flying somewhere, you're spending a lot of money to go somewhere and do these things. What we've done over our few years here is simply made space for those that indicate to us need. We've got some scholarship, BIPOC and LGBTQ plus kind of innovators in the field, people that are leading the way are doing this work and or economic need. We've long been making sure that we had space in a retreat and not with perfection, but we've had a pretty significant handful of folks that we come through and we either completely comp the spot so there's no fee or partial. It depends on need. And so we've kind of done that, you know, the best of our ability is we're a startup ourselves and there's a reality of we won't be here if we don't perform to a certain degree. So it's always tough to balance business with this kind of beautiful transformative work. But last year and where we're going to more deeply address this and really truly address this is we're very culturally diverse, right? We're a team, an international team that represent many, many countries and backgrounds and ways of working with medicine. There's that diversity, but in terms of like programming that is for those that would identify with BIPOC 
and some of these other populations. Our governance model is something we call stewardship, and it's about stewarding, not owning. And within that is ethic of collaboration. And so really stringing together being stewards that are dedicated to collaboration and looking at this dominance of white wealth, because piece we're pointing at is how can we show up in partnership and create space for collaboration to build programming that doesn't exist um, in our organization anyway. I'm well aware, you know, there's, there's others that, that may be doing this. And, but how do we kind of bring that into the mainstream? Because, yeah, the, there's some populations just like complex trauma folks. We need our own container, right? And so that's going to be a delicate body of work. And how do we, you know, find partnership? And no one knows how. And then being a pioneer, you're so far out in front. You know, you don't know how. And so right now it's about really building sincere relationship and it's about listening. I've talked to collaborators that identify in the BIPOC space and they say like, they don't want a white partner. They're not interested, <laughs> you know, with love. They're like, they're, you know, it's like they don't, they, the, that thing of like, we figured it out and like, hey, can you come and insert yourself? Like it, the tokenism, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I really feel like we're in a moment of we need to listen more than lead on this. We need to develop relationships with those that we can be in right partnership with. And we have a lot to learn about how do we do this in a way that's deeply honoring what is needed and the wounds that have been created. And yeah, it's a really deep, sensitive question. And so I look forward to our year ahead. We're wanting to pilot BIPOC retreat here at our new Oregon location in 2023. And so that's something we're really looking forward to diversifying away from this kind of wellness model and how do we open up the space? And we weren't able to do that so much in the Netherlands Mm -hmm. because of the nature of the truffle. You can't offer anything that looks like therapy or treatment. And so we have to be very careful. Whereas in Oregon under measure 109, it's a non-medical model, right? So a lot of these things that might show up in these populations, we don't have those restrictions anymore. So yeah, this year ahead is going to be one looking at BIPOC programming and, and trauma, PTSD. Mm, and wow. then hopefully down the road as we get to grow is end of life care. We're also very passionate about. So Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. I know a lot of people that are focusing on end of life care now. This role of the death doula is coming up more and more. It's really lovely that some attention is being given to that space. Yeah. And many, many are. But I think there is also a lot of like, it's something many of us hide from, right? Because of our own fears. So sometimes easier to look away. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. I mean, as we've been navigating um, Jedi work, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, we see our edges. And that's the thing about working with our edges. And in order to transform them, we have to meet them. And that's a lot. It's a lot of edges. So we've got a lot of work to do as a culture, as a community, as an organization to walk the talk we so desperately want to be a stand for. I think anyone doing this work, I think there's a humility you really have to come with. Like we do not have the answers, but we're learning. Yeah. And we're really excited that you are. So are you here yet in the U.S. or this is about to unfold? There's two tracks for us. One, um, you know, we do a psychedelic practitioner training program. And so that training program just got licensed by the state of Oregon. And what that means is, as Oregon rolls out, they have a residency requirement. So at this moment, for I think it's two more years, 
you have to have lived here for two years, and then you can go to a licensed psychedelic facilitator training program. And we got licensed, a handful of uh, training programs got licensed. So that's amazing. And we just finished forming the first Oregon cohort. And so they'll go through our training and then they go sit for state licensure. So that's the training path. And then the other amazing news is that in 2020, Measure 109 was passed by the state of Oregon, but they built in something called an opt-out. So each county was able to vote if they wanted it in their county, even though the state vote one. And last week, there was a very important vote for us. Our county, where our venue, where we acquired our venue, put the opt-out on the ballot. So people in our county had another time to vote and say, we do or do not want this here in our county. And so excited to share that we won. The county said, yes, we do want this year. There's actually a couple points more in in the uh, way of support than it was in 2020. And so we're literally just processing the news that our venue here is going to be one of the first psilocybin service centers in Oregon and in the U.S. So that's where we're at. So our goal is to do, I think, what, you know, it's a soft opening in 2023. Wow. Congratulations. That is very exciting news. It is very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, a little bit closer now. Maybe uh, I know my husband wants to visit, so <laughs> and maybe yeah. maybe me as well. Yeah, that's very exciting. I think we'll be very happy, and there'll be many people very happy to have you here, much closer by. Yeah, continuing with your work and your research, and specifically those cohort that you talked about hosting here in the U.S., I think are very much needed and very important. And of course, I'll be interested in following the the trauma work, especially. Maybe I can come and bring some trauma-sensitive yoga. Yes, we'll have to talk offline. We're always keen to invite folks in the space. And as I just said, you know, collaboration is so important, right? There aren't enough of us, right? It couldn't be enough of us for a long time to come, unfortunately. And so the more that we can all work together and build networks just to support folks wherever they're at in the process, it's always an open door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear that. What else do you have coming up or what else have I neglected to ask you about your work that you think is important to share with folks today? When I imagine talking with people, you know, we're sitting in a circle and it's really the trauma healing. It's a sensitive body of work. And even for those that, you know, might identify as that like healthy, normal, non-diagnosed, maybe wanting to do this work for creative breakthrough and these things, that's beautiful and that has its place. But for those that are really processing healing trauma, it's really what I was saying earlier. Your safety is so important. And really making sure if you're going to step into this work that you take your time, really research an organization, ask to talk to people. You know, it's, it's okay to ask for a referral, the people that would be open to talking to you, making sure any body of work you go into has a health screening and safety planning process available to you, making sure there's a lot of support ahead of your journey and post journey. I think just really making sure people hear that Laura, there's just times I've heard the horror stories of, you know, people heard some great news and then they went to Mm -hmm. Peru or they went to Mexico and, you know, we get a phone call afterwards that they might be hospitalized or there's a, and a lot of times it's, it's because there wasn't screening or there wasn't 
clarity around a contraindication with a medication, or they're not given really good advice, or they take far too much. You know, not everybody needs to take a whole lot of drugs and go pierce the veils of consciousness straight away. Maybe we ease into that water slow. Anyone listening that's going, hey, I want to try this out, go slow, be safe, trust your intuition and your gut. You know, you have to, to kind of just define, you know, is it is it something the group is great for you or you need something much smaller container? Making sure that you're working with practitioners that you're not ever one-to-one. I can't say that enough. It can go very well, but I would never set myself up for a client up to be one-on-one with a facilitator to make sure you have two people there. There's a lot of just kind of that PSA piece around this because of the nature of who we're talking to in your podcast. That matters to everybody, not just to to us that are healing and trauma, but really especially, especially when you're new in your healing journey and things. Like I said, there's a lot of people. Is have they gone? Through, what's their journey like? Do they have trauma? Kinds of trauma? Are they forthcoming with you? Where are they in their journey? You know. And so there's a just as you can really feel how you just you need a lot of spaciousness, safety, slow. And that's the thing because when we're in pain, we want an answer yesterday. Mm-hmm. So you have to really watch that. That way we can get really frenetic. I'm like, I got to do it. I got to do it. You know, and especially when you're feeling ideation, suicide ideations and things. There's a lot of how do you vet? How do you take the time to to really prepare? It's just not something you can say, I want to do it. And then tomorrow, go do it. That's not safe. It's not smart. So just really saying, take care of yourself. Go slow. Get informed. That container you start with, when we talk about set and setting and psychedelics, we're talking the mindset and the setting, that first step in, you're already creating the container, your mindset and the setting. So take good care and reach out to organizations like ours or others, ask questions. So I just think go slow, be safe. There's a lot of of people out there that weren't there before that weren't so visible anyway, because the legal structures are changing. So yeah, I think that's what I would leave us with. Yeah, I was going to say that the more this is going to be legalized, there's going to be a lot of options out there. And so just like with anything, you really want to do your research, you know, really think about who you're putting your psyche in, in the hands of or who's going to be guiding that experience is going to be so important. Mm-hmm. It's like, I bring it back to yoga, you know, there's so many different types. There are then all the different teachers of that one type. And so you really want to take your time finding that match because one style or one facilitator might, you know, they might be for someone else, but they might not be for you. So finding that, that right match is doing that legwork is really, really important before jumping in. Exactly. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of questions and a lot of interest in this conversation and this topic. So maybe we'll revisit as those questions come up or once you're up and going in Oregon and we'll see what people are, you know, what you're finding out about the trauma research as you head more into that and where more of the curiosities are bubbling up. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the work you're doing and creating spaces just to have the conversation. I think we're still in a place where a lot of trauma and wounds are are thriving in silence, just the speaking about it. 
as many of us know, is one of the most powerful first steps. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to answering any follow-up questions or anything I can do to be a support to you and your community. Thank you. Thank you. As we buzz around the busy world, it becomes clear there are billions of paths. As we buzz around the busy world, we will appear in other people's photographs. As we speed through the centuries, we will collide and the light will bend. We will be accidentally immortalized in someone else's land.